Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Genesis chapter 18 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 18 in your Bible tonight. The story is told of a young minister in Philadelphia in his first pastorate. First time he'd ever pastored. He was at home one evening when a group of members from the church and leaders from the church came and knocked on the parsonage door. And whenever you have a group of people come together and knock on your door, it's a little bit foreboding, especially if you're new. And he invited them in and they sat down in the living room area back in the early 1900s. And the spokesman for the group said this, I want to get it right. They said, Pastor, you're not a very good preacher. Things people have been saying at Canyon Ridge for years. Pastor, you're not a very strong preacher. As the usual order of things will be, you will fail here. You will not do well. But we have covenanted together, us, this small group, and we are going to pray for God's power and blessing on your life every Sunday morning before you preach and during the week. We'll meet together on Sundays. We'll pray individually during the week. But we are covenanting together to pray for you that God would empower you as you preach the word on Sundays. And then they dismiss themselves. That little Sunday morning group over time would grow to over a thousand people who would come together on Sunday morning and pray for Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. Now, you might not know who Dr. Chapman is, but our country owes a great debt of gratitude to him and his ministry as he was a standard bearer for biblical preaching, biblical ethics, and a biblical worldview that was very, very pervasive, if you will, during his lifetime. I would submit this to you. Dr. Chapman was a blessed man because there were people who were interceding for him. As we come to our text this evening in the book of Genesis chapter 18, in verse number 17, if you've been in church for a while, you kind of know the story. You know that if you read forward to chapter 19, you understand that Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed. But in chapter 18, we come to verse 17, and the Scripture says, And the Lord said, now here's what has happened. God has told Abraham in the beginning of this chapter, this narrative, that Sarah, who is 90, and Abraham, who's 100, they're finally going to have their son. And the Scripture goes on. I don't have time to deal with it all. But the Bible says this time, by this time next year, you will have a son. You remember the account, how Sarah laughs and says, How am I that I'm after the manner of women going to have a child? I'm in my 90s. There's a reason 90-year-olds don't don't have children. Why? It's not smart. God tells Sarah you're going to have a child. 
Well, we believe this is a Christophany. Jesus has come from heaven to earth. Verse number 13, the Lord said unto Abram. We believe that Lord there. And in verse number one, the Lord appeared unto him. We believe this is, this is a Christophany. Now, some people would say it's a theophany, and some people might even have another opinion, and all of those are fine. I believe it's a Christophany. I'm certainly not alone on that. And then they tell the Lord and his two angels, they inform Abram, just being brief, as to what's going to happen with the child. And then there, the verse number 16, the men arose to leave. They're getting ready to leave. And the Lord says in a very open way in front of Abraham, verse number 17, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I will do? Should I hide from him what I'm going to do? And, and, and there's doesn't seem from the text, at least, from the interplay of the Scripture, there doesn't seem to be any dialogue that is going on. It just seems like the Lord says it. And then the Lord describes Abraham, seeing that he'll surely be a great and mighty nation, verse 18, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And verse number 19, that passage has been preached on to so many men and fathers. I know that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, because of the cry, so God describes Abraham's character in 18 and 19. And by the way, I just, it's an aside, but I think we have to ask the question, if the Lord were to describe our character, how would he describe us? What would he say? I hope that the Lord doesn't say, oh, there's Chris Chadwick. He likes donuts and deadlifts. He likes to work out. He likes to hang out. I, I hope that there's more. I pray that there's more to the character that, that I exhibit or have than simply that. I think you probably do too. What a beautiful description of character that Abraham had. And after that description, verse number 20, just as we work our way to the idea kind of of the, of the text and of the passage, the Lord says to Abraham, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I'll know. Now, it's imperative that we understand this. Because we, we don't want to mix up the character of God. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And might I say this as well, that the pleasure of Sodom and Gomorrah that they thought they were having was leading to the cry that is always caused by sin in the life of individuals, whether believer or not believer. We live in a world that is running headlong into sin from every corner of the nation and really the world people are running headlong maybe in such a way or in such in, in such speed that it, it's almost difficult to keep up with to understand all that is going on to understand the ramifications and the implications of everything that is going on and and understand this 
that those sins seems pleasurable and those sins seems enjoyable and those sins seems like it's fun because that's what the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was conveying. And though the media conveys that this is a fun lifestyle and this is pleasurable and this is enjoyable, make no mistake, the end state of sin is always death and death always brings about despair. And what you are reading and what I am reading in verse number 21 is the despair of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse number 20, their sin is grievous and their cry is great. And so Jesus is going to investigate. Now he's not going to investigate because he doesn't know. Because he knows. He's all-knowing. Well, Chris, why is he going to investigate? Well, I'll tell you, he's going to investigate in my opinion. Now, other people might think something else. He's going to investigate because he wants everybody to know that before you make a judgment, you need to have as much information as is possible. And so Jesus is going to investigate the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, letting Abraham know that before he destroys the city, it's going to be very, very clear. It's going to be very, very obvious to the Lord that they are indeed in sin. Verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And we get into this now passage where the idea of this is one of intercessory prayer. Where the big idea, if you will, or the central idea of the text, or, or, or the main theme of the text from 23 to 32, the main theme is one of intercessory prayer, where Abraham is now interceding on the part of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the intercessor. He's the go-between. He's the prayer warrior. You say prayer warrior? Yeah. I love what Tennyson said, at least it's attributed to him. Many have said it since then, since then, but I think it's attributed to him and its origin where he said, more things are wrought by prayer than ever this world dreams of. More things are wrought by prayer than ever this world dreams of. More will be done by prayer than anything you or I could ever dream of. I have to ask this question. How many of us are seriously and systematically praying for others? The scripture is quite clear. God has called us to pray. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1, I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You say for every person on the planet. No, all men within your purview, within your relationship with those you have influence. Supplication, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Whether there are, uh, they are of your political persuasion or not. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In Luke chapter 22, verse number 32, Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In short, do your prayers do anybody any good? If you stopped praying today, 
Would anybody know? Would the spiritual implication of you ceasing to pray, of me ceasing to pray, would that affect anybody? Would anybody go, I don't know what's missing, but something's missing. I don't know what's happened, but something seems to be lost. I, 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 would your pastor say, I'm just not, I don't have the same liberty or the same power in the pulpit with the, the, the folks that go in outreach, which is hopefully all of you, and we witness in our daily life, but people say, people just seem to be a little bit colder. I mean, would there be any effect? Would the sick person be more discouraged? Would the poor person be graceless and more poor? I mean, what effect would our stoppage of prayer have on those around us? You see, God uses people of prayer. It was Charles Wesley who said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. As we work our way through this passage of Scripture, it's imperative that we understand there are different types of prayer adoration, thanking God for what he's done. I love the music tonight. We sing all those songs of the church. I, I love that version of how great thou art. Never heard it before, how beautiful it was. It ministered to me. I, I feel like we should have probably just listened to music all night and sang. I would have absolutely loved that. My favorite nights at Canyon Ridge, what we call Canyon Ridge Sings, where we'll sing like 15, 20 songs in a night, and that's all that we do, and then we go eat something because we're Baptist. But we don't eat fried chicken two services in a row. I'll tell you that for sure. McDoubles, maybe. Donuts, maybe. But we never do fried chicken twice in a row. Why is that? I have no idea. But we might take it home, that idea, and we might start doing that. And JJ, my favorite animal is now a fried chicken as well. Adoration praising the Lord for who he is, praising the Lord for his goodness, confession, confession of sin, apologizing for our sin, being remorseful for our sin, repenting of our sin, thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done in our lives or in the lives of others, just being very general here, supplication and petition, asking God for something that we need, something that we desire, something that, that, that we need help from, grace, whatever the area is. And then there is intercession intercession. Well, what is intercession? Some people think intercession is just praying really hard. It's just praying really hard, but that's not really intercession. Intercession is a believer who struggles and often wrestles in prayer on behalf of another. Intercession is a believer who struggles and often wrestles in prayer on behalf of of another. The key words in that definition are struggles, often, and wrestles. When was the last time that you wrestled in prayer for another? When's the last time that you struggled in prayer for another? Now, I got to give you this because I'm a super vulnerable, honest dude, because uh, I, I, I just can't stand not being honest. So I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most difficult spiritual discipline in my entire life. I love to read the Bible. 
I enjoy scripture memory. It's fun for me. I'm accomplishing something. I love to witness. I love to share my faith. I love to talk to people about Jesus. I love to dialogue and debate and engage with people. Not argue, but I, I love to engage with folks. I love to give. I just, I, 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 man, my wife and I, we, we enjoy that. That's part of who we are. It's our makeup. The greatest spiritual struggle I have or the discipline I struggle with the most is the discipline of prayer. And I would submit to you, it is the greatest, most important of all the disciplines. And the greatest part I would submit is intercession. In order for his intercession to take place, and by the way, this definition, a believer who struggles often in prayer on behalf of another, it's not that way with any other types of prayer. You, you can thank God without interceding. You can supplicate. You can petition without interceding. Intercession is putting yourself in the middle. Intercession requires three different groups. It requires the person to whom you speak. It requires the one you have spoken for. And it requires the one who speaks. It's a three-party system. Three things are presupposed when we intercede. Number one, the need of the one spoken for. This person has a need. The power of the one spoken to. This person can correct it. And thirdly, the content in between, or the contact in between, the person who is between the two. Growing up, I... Um, didn't always get along with my dad as well as I should have. At times, I was a little bit uh, of a jerk. And uh, trying to figure out on that stage of life as you're a teenager. And I remember one time in, in particular, my dad was starting a church up in Spokane, Washington. I was a senior in high school. And I don't remember what our disagreement was about, but it was about something. And, and I got in trouble, and, and it got pretty heated, and I got put on restriction until 2047. Like, you will not eat until 2047. That's not fair. I'll die. That's fine. You'll be in heaven. You know, I mean, it was just it was, it was not good. Not good. My dad, my dad, he was right in what he did, but I think it was a little extreme. I should have been able to eat by like 2012. Graduated in 91. 13 years without food is enough. I went to my room down in the basement. I'm just sitting there and I'm seething because of the injustice that had happened to me. And my dear, sweet German mother, who was seldom sweet, but always German, <laughs> she came walking down the stairs. My, par my parents didn't believe in this principle of knocking on doors when they entered rooms that they paid for. I don't know if you know what I mean, but I'm like, are you gonna knock? Yeah, I'll knock when it's your house. This is our house. If you want to knock, you can start paying the mortgage. Otherwise, shut up. And so we, my mom walked in the room, didn't ask for permission, didn't ask if I cared either. And she walked in, what's going on? She's mad at me. The whole world's mad at me. And then we started talking, and she brought the level down, which was rare for her. Um, it still, still is. Um, <laughs> talked to her today. I'm angry. Um, she brought the tension down, and and I remember, she's like, well, what do you want me to say to your dad? Well, that I should be allowed to eat this year. I don't remember what the punishment was, so I'm just being stupid with it. And then she said these words. I don't know if it'll do any good, but I'm going to go talk to your dad. 
And then she ended it with this phrase, for you. She wasn't going to talk to my dad for herself. She was allowed to eat. She was cooking. She was going to talk for me. She was interceding for me. I was the one in need. He was the one in power. She was the one in the middle. What intercession is, is you and I seeing the need of somebody who is lost and undone without Christ, and they need salvation, and we're going to God, and we're interceding for them. It's you and I going to the Lord for somebody who is struggling in their faith, somebody who's walked away from the Lord, a broken marriage, a broken home, a broken life, and we are interceding for them. We're going to God, not for ourselves, though we should at all the time but we are going to God as an intercessor for that individual. That's exactly what Abraham is doing in Genesis chapter 18. He's going to God for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to God on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now listen to me. He's going to God for the righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's asking God to stay his hand of judgment for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice verse number 25. Verse 24, per adventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? There's a lot to be said about Sodom and Gomorrah that time will not allow. So we'll focus on the prayer. Verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to just slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked or endure the same judgment as the wicked, that be far from thee. Now notice this phrase. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Who's the judge? God, the judge of all the earth, the one who administers judgment, the one who has the responsibility to carry out in exactness the law of God. God will carry out his law. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Come on, this is what Abraham said. Lord, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked because you're the judge of all the earth. And if you judge the righteous with the wicked, then understand, Lord, then you're not doing that which is right. Well, what does right mean? Right in God's eyes? To render justice faithfully? Now, God is always right. Of course, God is always right. Abraham knows it. It's rhetorical in its statement. It's not accusatory in its statement. It's rhetorical like, Lord, you're not going to do this. You would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Of course, God can't do that. Why? Because God can never do anything wrong. And the judgment is already established. That's what the idea of the judge is, that the judgment is already established. God's not trying to make up his mind. It's already determined. It's predetermined. It's, it's preordained. It's, it's that similar in concept to the word wrath we would read about in the New Testament, that Greek word orge, that means the settled, determined indignation of God. It's already determined. God already knows what he's going to do. And Abraham is saying, come on, Lord, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked because you're the judge of all the earth and you will do the right thing. In verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. I love this quote by Hudson Taylor. 
And it's this, learning to move man through God by prayer alone. Learning to move man by God through prayer alone. Abram Ham is saving the city of Sodom and Gomorrah or trying to or attempting to. We all ultimately know it was destroyed because you couldn't even find 10 righteous that were there, but the righteous were allowed to escape there. And, and, and Abram is going to God and he is praying and he is, he is, he is moving man through God by prayer alone. You know, most of us talk a lot. You ever... You, you ever you ever visit with some of the with folks and you ask them for counsel and they can talk for hours about their counsel and they're, they're trying they try to manipulate and control and con contrive things I've been dealing and talking to some of our counselors at Canyon Ridge lately I said guys yeah we need to help people we need to give people guidance we need to give people the word we make, need to make it understandable we need to do all of that but understand the greatest thing you will ever do for people who come to you for counsel is pray with them and pray for them to intercede with them and intercede for them that is the greatest thing you will ever do If you believe God will work as the righteous judge, then the end result is prayer. Then the end result is prayer. So just for the next couple minutes, I know we got a lot going on, and I'll be brief, which is not normal for me. It will take a miracle. Um, I want to share four simple principles of intercession. Number one, intercession rests on a right relationship with God. Intercession rests on a right relationship with God. Now, if we, were, we had time, we'd go back to Genesis 15, and we could look at Genesis chapter 15, verse number six, where the scripture says, Abraham believed God. It's, it's obvious Abraham believed God in Genesis chapter 12 when he was called out of Haran and to leave and to travel uh, to, to the, in the promised land and to leave there. And then Abraham believed God, and over and over and over again, Abraham believes God, struggles, believes God, struggles, believe God, and then struggles. And here, Abraham is in a right relationship relationship with God. People have a relationship with God the same way Abraham did by grace through faith in Christ alone. Abraham looked forward to the coming Messiah. We look back to the Messiah. And I want to say this, your prayers are of no value and of no meaning if you don't have a right relationship with God. It's imperative that you have a right relationship with God. And the man who intercedes is Abraham, and, and God speaks to Abraham in verse number 17. He says, shall I hide from him the thing with that I do? Intercession rests on a right relationship with God. Remember, it requires three people, the one for whom you are speaking, the one to whom you are praying, and the one in the middle. And Abraham is the one that has the right relationship with God. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah don't. Lot and his family don't. Nobody else is praying for them. The only one to intercede for them is Abraham. You have to be in a right relationship with God. We want to intercede and then dabble in the things of the world. I don't mean, mean to be pastorly or preachy tonight, but I do want us to understand that if our heart's not right with God, if our life's not right with God, intercession is at best going to be weak. Even if you spend a lot of time in the activity of prayer, there's no accomplishment of prayer if we're not in the right, a right relationship with God. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. 
The Bible says very clearly, likewise your husbands dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of God. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. One of the reasons I try to keep a good relationship with my wife, I want to keep Debbie happy. I try to do things that make her happy. I try to let her know that I love her. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination and probably fail way more than I succeed. But I will tell you, the, uh, one of the reasons that I want to do that, I want to dwell with her according to knowledge. Number one, she deserves that respect, love, and admiration. But I also don't want my prayers hindered. God desires to, to have a, a, a prayer answering or an intercessory answering relationship relationship with us, but it starts with us having a right relationship with God. Do you? Do you? I know it's the Wednesday night crowd or the Tuesday night crowd, and I'm pumped that you're here, and I'm thankful for your attendance, and it's way cooler to preach to people than pews. I promise you that. But the question has to be asked. Maybe the reason is the reason that your prayers are not being answered because there is open known sin or rebellion in your life. You say, Pastor, you don't know me, right? Which gives me a little bit of latitude to say it. I, I'm just asking. If I was at Canyon Ridge, I'd point out the sins that I know. I don't know any sin that you guys have other than Jay. I know a lot of his sins. Ask me later. Big one is the dude would never move to San Diego. He's from San Diego and he left it, which means he's an apostate. And pray for him, he is not going to heaven. Intercession rests in a right relationship with God. Number two, intercession is based on God's is based on God's willingness to be approached. Intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. You understand? It was. There you go, Ryan, finally. I was waiting on that, thanks. If you'll put the video game down, bro, it'll go a lot faster, I promise. Dude's back there playing Angry Birds with the sound man. They like got an online poker tournament they're playing or something, I don't know what's happening back there. <laughs> Things that Pastor Thompson will never say from the pulpit. <sighs> Intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. We read verse 17 to 23 already. I won't do it again, uh, but understand, God was the one that came to Abraham. God is the one that's talking to Abraham. God desires to be approached. And Abram comes to God in verse number three, 23. And notice these words. And it's the Lord that he's there with. And Abram drew near. He draws near. Alistair Begg said, God requires intercessory prayer as a necessary wheel in the machinery of his providence. God desires to be approached, and can I say this? God really uh, gives us the responsibility, if you will, to move that wheel. God desires to be approached by his people. Why? Because God wants to get the glory. God wants to answer prayer and do so in such a way that he will be glorified and magnified through the answered prayer. My 25-year-old daughter, Judith, uh, was my secretary. Uh, she did a great job, and she, 
She's very, very good at it. I loved having her on staff. The guys on staff loved having her. I mean, it was fantastic. She did so many things for me. I'd walk in the office. I'd have an idea. Hey, Jude, I want you to take care of this. I want you to uh, accomplish this. I want you to buy this. I want you to disciple this person. I want you to read this book and give me a debrief on it. Uh, Jude, just, just do the, I mean, she was fantastic. I want you to get these rooms set for people who are coming into town. Uh, uh, anything. I just, I want you to get this bag together, buy them stuff, whatever the case may be. I mean, she was just a great assistant. And she came to me one day a couple of weeks ago, matter of fact, it was three weeks ago or two weeks ago this last Saturday. And she came to me, she goes, dad, I got to tell you something. She goes, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. She goes, I got to tell you something. I'm like, okay, what is it? <laughs> she goes, I hate working for you. <laughs> what are you talking about? We have an awesome work environment. I mean, it's like a junior high locker room in our office all the time. Got a group full of dudes, and we all just have fun. I mean, we do the dumbest things in our office all the time. What our, our lead assistant pastor, executive pastor now, he, Bernie Lund, he, we fired him for being the youth pastor because he was too boring. Dude doesn't know what video games are on his phone. I've never had to correct him in service like I have Brother Kevin already, and so... Bernie was too, now Bernie's getting a little older. He's in his 40s and three kids and and uh, all of that. And he, I mean, literally, he was born old. He was born boring. Like his favorite thing to do is play video, like board games. Like, hey, I want to play Risk. I'm like, welcome to the nerd club. No, I'm not coming over. Like, Pastor, all of us are getting together. You mean all the guys that can't play sports? Yeah, no, I'm not going to be there. Sorry, can't do that. Yeah, and so uh, Bernie's there. We just hired a new guy named Zane Garza. Zane Garza just got out of the Navy actually two days ago, three days ago. Friday was his last day. Uh, he was a Navy diver, special warfare guy. We got a guy named John Scheifus, and he's just classically weird. There's nothing normal about John. If he touches it, it breaks. The only thing he can do is media and the internet. Everything else he touches breaks. He'll walk by your car, and I'm telling you, it's like an EMP. We call it an EMJC. He will walk by your car, and stuff will break. And, and he didn't grow up playing sports, and so the funnest thing that we do in the office is we throw stuff to John because he doesn't know how to catch. John's two-year-old daughter catches better than him. He taught his daughter how to catch, but he can't catch. Throw John a pin, he'll stick it in his eye. Throw John a ball, he'll drop it. Throw him his baby, he'll, he'll do nothing with it. It's just there. And so we just do dumb stuff. It's fun. It's a great, fun environment. We're a bunch of brothers in there. I mean, we, we, we do dumb food competitions on a very regular basis. I mean, it's, it's like Bernie's favorite restaurant is Whataburger and then the rest of us are saved, or, or is in and out. The rest of us are saved. We love Whataburger, so we have big debates and arguments about deep theological topics like, like mustard or mayo or special sauce on a burger. And mayo and special sauce are from the pit of, well, L.A. And, and so it's fun in the office. And she, was, she said to me, she said, Dad, I hate it. You hate it? Who would hate working for me? Was my thought and the words that came out of my mouth. And she goes, your daughter? <laughs> well, what do you want to do? She goes, I want to teach three-year-olds. I feel like God's calling me to teach three-year-olds. I said, we, we've got a great day here that we started. I said, well, we've got a great teacher in the three-year-old class, and they're not quitting. She goes, well, can't you make that happen? You are the boss. <laughs> I said, well, we don't believe in nepotism, baby. The only nepotism we like is from the bottom up. So do something nice for your dad. But no, I'm not firing anybody for you ever at any point in the future either. And she said, Dad, 
I really, and she was kidding a little bit, but she goes, I really want to teach three-year-olds. I said, well, if you want to teach three-year-olds, go to a different daycare, go to a different school. She could teach anywhere. She's gifted at what she does. And I said, you'd have to go somewhere else. And she got mad at me. She goes, dad, God's called me to work at Ridge City and Canyon Ridge. I'm not going anywhere. I'm like, that attitude you might, (sighs) because I could fire you. She goes, you know what I mean? I said, babe, all we can do, all we can do is pray. You just pray for God to give me, and this was our prayer. I said, don't pray that anybody would ever quit our, our, our daycare. We don't need fewer employees right now. Lord knows we don't need fewer employees. I said, why don't we just pray that God would make you content? We prayed, no lie. Saturday, we prayed for contentment. Sunday, we prayed for contentment. Monday, we prayed for contentment. Tuesday, we, this girl needs a lot of prayer. Tuesday, we prayed for contentment. Wednesday, I think the light shone through. She started to be content, and she comes to me. She goes, I'll stay here as long <laughs> As long as it takes. No, like as, as long as God wants me to be here. I'm like, okay, great. On Thursday, the three-year-old teacher quit. She goes, Dad, can you believe the three-year-old teacher quit? I'm like, yeah, I fired her. I'm kidding, I didn't do that. She's like, Dad, I have a job down there. I'm like, no, you don't. You got to interview. She goes, I have to interview? I'm like, yeah. She goes, I worked in the daycare for seven years. I'm like, yeah, but you quit. So now you got to interview. And you got to interview with your aunt, who's really not a nice person at all. She's my older sister. She's been mean since the day she was born. And, and now Judith has a job. What? To the glory of God. You know, I'm just trying to illustrate something simply. I desired to be approached by my daughter. And she needed to pray. And she needed to go to God so that God would be glorified. And so that she wouldn't go, look at what my dad did, or look at what my aunt did, or look at what somebody on staff did for me. No, this was entirely a work of God. And the girl who quit, we led to the Lord several years ago, and she's working at her church a little bit north in San Diego as they're starting a daycare. And we're very excited for her. And it was a win-win all the way around to the glory of God. God desires to be approached. You know, Genesis 18, 17 teaches us something else. I'll be very brief. Shall I hide the thing from Abraham which I do? It teaches us this and this principle here, that God shares his thoughts with folks who are his friends. God shares his thoughts with folks who are his friends. Did you hear me? God comes to Abraham, shall I hide this from Abraham? Shall I hide it from him? And then God doesn't hide it from him, makes it very clear. In verse number, in John chapter 15, verse number 15, Jesus says, henceforth I call you not servant, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. God shares things with his friends. You ever been driving down the street or sleeping or watching TV and all of a sudden somebody, they just come to mind. Obviously you have because you're human and you're a believer and they just come to mind. You just start thinking about them. If maybe they irritate you, you want to fix things about them. If you like them, you just think fondly about them. But do you ever think that maybe God's just sharing them with you so that you would intercede for them? I'm trying to live my life because I'm, I'm, I'm an ENTJ in the Myers-Briggs scale, which means that I can tell everybody how to live their life, and I'm always right in my own mind. It's just how I am, and I pray that God would change that, but then I wouldn't be me, so I, then I think, well, I like how I am, whatever, it's weird, and pray for me and the doctors as they medicate me. 
But the reality is God brings people to mind, not so that we could just think about them or be irritated with them or be frustrated with them. God brings folks to mind because he desires that we would pray for them. I would submit to you that every time God brings somebody to mind that there's a need in that person's life, and you might not know that need, but maybe God just wants you to pray a general prayer of, of blessing and grace and strength and help and courage, and maybe you do know their needs, and God wants you to stop trying to fix them and stop trying to correct them and stop being irritated with them and just lift them up in prayer. Number three, and it'll be much shorter than the first two, intercession demands humility. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 27. And Abraham said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. I am just dust and ashes. God, be patient with me. I know I don't deserve to speak to you. I just need to pray for the people of Sodom. My nephew is there, his wife is there, his four daughters are there, his at least two sons-in-law are there, maybe he had more daughters, we don't know, some people debate that, but, but at least 10 people are there. God, I've got to pray for my city. John Stott said, at every age of Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest the reason so many of your lives get jacked up is because of pride. I'm not changing for anybody. Nobody's telling me what to do. Yeah, pride is your greatest enemy. As opposed to coming humbly before the Lord. God requires humility. God requires humility. Jonathan Edwards said the pleasure of humilities, the pleasures of humility are really the most refined, inward, and exquisite delights in the world. Pride only brings tension and contention. It can't bring anything but that. Humility brings peace and grace. It, it seems, Pastor Jay, like every time I do marriage counseling, every time our church does marriage counseling, that the fundamental problem is pride. Sometimes it's one party, but most of the time it's both parties. It's just pride. Everybody's just proud. And then when you bring it out, it seems like there's always the one party that's willing to change and the one party that's not. Every time that I have kids that are struggling with their parents, it's always a pride issue. Every time a Christian's really in sin, it's always a pride issue. I deserve this. I want this. I should have this. It's a pride issue. Listen, God comes to the humble. God desires the humble. God loves the meek and lowly in heart. And that's what we see in Genesis 18:27. I am but ashes and dust. Dude's the richest man in the world. At the, at the time, he's got an army that, that would rival any nation state in the region. I am but dust. And finally... Intercession requires perseverance. 24, you ask, per adventure, 50 righteous. 28, per adventure, you lack five of the 50 righteous. Will you destroy the city for lack of five? 29, per adventure, there shall be 40. Starts at 50, 45, 40, 30. Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Per adventure, there shall be 30 found here. Now he's at 30. 31, per adventure, there shall be 20 found here. 32, 
Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I speak this once, but peradventure 10 shall be found there. What's he doing? He's just, he's just, he's just giving evidence of intercession and perseverance. And he keeps going and going and going and going. How often is it that we pray one time and move on? I call it conscious appeasing prayer. We pray one time and we move on. Intercession requires perseverance. Some of you have family members that don't know Christ. Some of you have spouses that don't know Christ. Don't give up. Keep praying. Some of your kids have walked away from the Lord. Don't give up. Keep praying. And nobody might even, and this might be unknown to anybody, but there's marriages that are struggling. Some might even be on the rock. Some might even be like at our church. Oftentimes they're, they're near divorce. Hey, don't give up. Keep praying. Some of your children are making major life decisions and they don't know what to do and you don't know what to do. Just keep interceding. Some of you have friends that are really struggling with health or, or, or a, a, a mental struggle or their mental health or, or a, a, a financial problem. Just keep praying. Some of you need boldness to witness to a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member. Just keep praying. Your city needs revival. Our state needs revival. Our region needs revival. Our country needs revival. Pastor, can it ever happen? I don't know. But I do know this. It's not going to happen if we stop praying. Intercede. Go to God. As I stated earlier, our churches are very similar. Your pastor has way blonder hair, as does his family, and I live in a cooler part of the state. We all have our blessings. And our churches sing the same songs. We go to camp together. I feel like I could walk in this church and join it tomorrow as long as I'd be allowed to lead the singing. And, and the church would be a church of one. I love it. But what the church needs, I say that because I don't want anybody to think disparagingly, what the church needs is not another program, not another performance, not another play, and all those things are fine. We do all of them. But we need our intercessors. Growing up, I used to hear a song sung all the time. It's a little antiquated now. We don't sing it. But it was this. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart felt no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been? since you knew that he cared for you? How long has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew till he'd answered you and would keep you the long night through? How long has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that the day's worth a living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? Dear friend, how long has it been since you went to the Lord in intercessory prayer for someone who's in need. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. 
Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.